Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Monday, November 27th. Today, as part of our High Cost of Colorado series, we talk with Sun reporter Olivia Prenzel about how much more expensive it is to enjoy outdoors, including climbing 14ers. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor. On December 5th, First Bank and Colorado Gives Foundation are proud to present Colorado Gives Day, a one-day online fundraiser for local nonprofits. Since 2010, people just like you have raised $415 million, and over $53 million was donated last year alone. To elevate giving, First Bank and other sponsors have contributed more than $1 million to amplify every donation made, which makes Colorado Gives Day easily the best day to give. So let's start a wave of generosity. Donate at coloradogivesday.org. First Bank. Banking for good. Member FDIC. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1900, Sugar City was born. Today, twin brick pillars are all that remain of a once-thriving sugar factory. Part of the early 20th century beet sugar farms, Sugar City arrived as a town at the same time as the factory's construction, driven by advancements in irrigation and transportation technology. Initially a tent city, it rapidly grew to 2,000 residents, mostly German immigrants familiar with beet sugar production. The town's growth mirrored the growth of many of Colorado's mining boom towns, and flourished briefly before stabilizing at around 800 residents by the 1910s. However, post-Great Depression, the population and industry declined, leading to the factory's closure in 1966 and subsequent demolition. Today, Sugar City is a small community of under 300 people, its history echoed only in its name, a commemorative sign, and those enduring brick pillars. Next, our feature story. Hey, welcome to the Colorado Sun podcast, everyone, and thanks for listening in today. I'm David Krause, one of the editors here at The Sun, and I am happy to be here with Colorado Sun reporter Olivia Prenzel. Hey, Olivia, how's it going today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So Olivia is uh, part of our team project, um, and I thought we'd have you on today. And usually Mondays, uh, Jason and I talk about outdoors and so you have a story coming out this week as part of our um, High Cost of Colorado series, looking at the um, increases in ha- uh, having fun outside and more specifically um, climbing 14ers. And we'll we'll get to that, Olivia. But, you know, can you talk about, we talk about previously the price of gas and food prices are increasing and that's kind of has a ripple effect. Um, you took this on to look at the cost of, you know, outdoors and hiking. What was your main takeaway, Olivia, from from working on this the past few months? I think there's this perception that hiking is free in Colorado. And a lot of us, you know, we choose to live in Colorado for how beautiful it is to get outside. Um, but it's not exactly free. Um, it's definitely cheaper than a lot of the other outdoor activities when we're either talking about backpacking or skiing. But a lot of the costs do add up when we want to go out into the mountains. And just like you said, there's that ripple effect um, when we see gas prices increase. Um, these mountains are pretty far away for a lot of people who would, you know, don't have the privilege of living in that mountain town. So we're driving a lot. And then the cost of snacks that we that are imperative. Um, if you want to climb up a 14,000 foot mountain or just, you know, a couple miles, you need to be fueled and have that nutrition. So all of this is adding up. And 
Um, this was a really fun project for me to work on um, because I do love to hike so much. Um, and this really gave me the opportunity to really focus and dial in on how much my hobby is costing me. So let's talk about that, right? Um, you've done more than 35 14ers in the three years that you've lived in Colorado, an incredible feat. I am not anywhere near that number. And I've been here for almost 30 years. So I commend you and anybody really who takes them on, right? I mean, it is a challenge. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, for this project, you specifically did Mount Harvard, um, just outside of Buena Vista. Um, have you done Mount Harvard before? This is the first time I've done Mount Harvard. And it was about a two hour drive um, from my house in Colorado Springs. So actually a lot closer than say Mount Snaffles um, down in the San Juans, which is, you know, quite a drive. So Less money on gas, though I did record how much I spent. When I did this hike in the end of September, gas was around $3.62 per gallon. Um, so it was a bit higher than what it is now. So what other numbers did you glean or what else did you invest, I guess, is the best word for that trip? Yeah, so I did what I'm calling a money diary. Um, for my trip to hike up Mount Harvard. And first, I went to King Supers the night before, and I just got a bunch of snacks. I like to be pretty cautious um, in that regard. Don't want to get stuck up on the mountain with less food. Um, but I spent $20, about $20 on snacks, and that ranged from bobo bars, um, a banana, some coffee. Um, I had a tuna fish packet with some crackers and then a bunch of like sugary snacks, which I really like. I like peanut butter M&Ms for the summit. So that was $20. And I mentioned gas. And then when we're talking about um, rewarding yourself after the after the 14er, uh, I like to stop in town, the nearest town for a nice lunch and maybe a beer at a brewery. So I stopped in um, Buena Vista's Eddie Line Brewery. And my lunch was, plus tip, was about $27. And I think you reported about this. You talked to a Colorado State uh, professor about the economics of it, right? You also, you know, it is kind of like skiing. You've got to pay, you know, that upfront cost, right? Of hiking, you know, skis and snowboards and boots and helmets, all that. And hiking, you know, especially 14ers, right? You got to have a set of quality boots. You got to have a set of quality socks. You got to have rain gear. Um, you know, all the essentials that you see on those lists, you got to have a good solid backpack, you know, like you said, some of them are quick hikes and some of them are a big, big commitment. Even if you're not doing a 14 er what kind of did you learn in that conversation, um, Olivia with the CSU professor? He was very helpful in, you know, pointing me on what to look at when we're looking at the economics of 14 ers he did a study a while back in 2007, and he hasn't done a study looking at those numbers since. Um, but I was able to pinpoint, you know, I looked at the fluctuating prices of gas. I looked at the fluctuating price of a very popular L.L. Bean boot um, and just the prices of um, Rocky Mountain National Park's entry fee. And you see a big jump across, you know, 15 years so it's very clear that it is becoming more expensive to do some of the things we love outside in Colorado. But, 
you know, this is also very personal. You know, when I mentioned going to a brewery after hiking a 14er, that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that, you know, I'm putting all this effort. It's really enjoyable for me to do that. It's almost like a tradition. But if we're trying to really save money, that's not necessary. Um, same goes with gear. I also tallied up how much everything was in my in my pack, um, including the 10 essentials, which I think, you know, I don't think you should try to cut costs on that. Um, right. You know, we're talking about, you know, an extra pair of clothes, matches, lighter, sunscreen, stuff that's really going to save your life if something goes wrong in the mountain. I wouldn't suggest cutting costs there. Um, but there are ways to save some money on gear, whether you're going to a, you know, secondhand outdoor gear shop or finding stuff just on sale. Um, Swaps or- are huge that way I've noticed, right? We just had a big bike and ski swap here in Salida a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. And you can find, you know, and to your point, uh, you know, the the um, recycle sports equipment stores. I mean, a lot of those are geared toward team, but you get into to boots and all that. That's a little more personal, like you said. Yeah, super personal. And it makes sense that some people, you know, want to spend that extra money for a pair of boots that aren't going to rip their feet up. Um, And then, you know, you talk about there's this competition, it feels like, to get the lightest gear. And the more more light it is, the more expensive it's going to be. So there's just so many ways to really rack up the costs when it comes to basic hiking. Olivia, how many pair of hiking boots do you have and how many do you think, how much money do you think you have invested in hiking boots? I found one pair that I absolutely love and they're the Merrill Moab boots. And the first time I ever wore them was up Mount Kilimanjaro and I did not get one blister. <laughs> so uh, they're like five-star boots in my book. And are have you worn the same pair or you just keep getting the same brand? That's what I do is I'm a big Solomon uh, guy. I've got five pair of Solomon hiking boots on different, you know, the hardcore heavier ones, the ultralights, all that, but you just found a brand and stick with it. That's what I've done for hiking boots. Um, I put holes in those um, after I moved to Colorado, um, but I replaced them with the exact same brand. But for, I would say a lot of hikes that I do now in Colorado, I've transitioned to trail runners. Um, Just because you're going up and back in a day. Yeah, they feel light, um, and I like to switch up, you know, my footwear too. I think that helps with ankle strength, or at least that's what I've read. So, Olivia, last thing, you know, we talked about the high cost of Colorado projects. We've done other podcasts on them before. Um, for our listeners, um, you've probably heard, you know, Tamara's talked to a few people, Jen Brown, um, the past few weeks. We're really proud of this project. It's a really big team project. We're all working on different pieces that affect us. Olivia, I know you've hiked a lot of 14ers, like we mentioned earlier. Olivia has an awesome uh, sheepdog named Kevin, who's done how many? He's done 17. 17. Talk about, and you mentioned a little bit, but talk about what, why it is such a, a passion, you know, a hobby for you and, and kind of how that lined up when we were kind of all talking and brainstorming this project, right? Why it appealed to you so much to, to look into 14ers specifically. Sure. Well, I'll add that I love to do high peaks, but I'm often in the summer months, it's every single weekend I'm out in the mountains, whether it be some 
secluded hot springs or on a backpacking loop. Um, doesn't have to be high altitude for me to be out there. Um, when I moved to Colorado in 2019, I didn't even know what a 14er was. Um, it's just something that I just kind of jumped in head first. Um, and I think it's something so special, or at least it gives me so much peace and enjoyment that I would hope that anyone who would like to experience Colorado's backcountry really has the opportunity to do so. So that's why I think it is important that we look at how much it's costing so that we can, if there's any way to make it more accessible, I think, you know, that's important. Hey, Libby, I really appreciate it. I always enjoy catching up with you. Um, we talk a lot offline when we have our weekly conversations about hiking and all that. So great to see you get your hobby out there and really be able to use that expertise on this. Uh, I want to thank everybody else for listening today. If you want to read more about our project, The High Cost of Living, encourage you to go to coloradosun.com. We'll have stories there for the next few weeks. Olivia, thanks for the chat today. And I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to read more about our project, The High Cost of Colorado, I encourage you to go to coloradosun.com and you'll find stories there for the next few weeks. Also want to remind everybody that Daily Sun Up podcast is a conversation based on facts covered by the Colorado Sun. As a member of the Trust Project, we want to earn your trust. I encourage you to go read our ethics policy at coloradosun.com slash best practices. Hey, Olivia, have a great week. Thanks, Dave. You too. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The Colorado River's flow is 18% lower in the 21st century than it was in the 20th century, and that's a big deal for the 40 million people who depend on it for water across the West. But solving the crisis gets complicated quickly. That's where a team of researchers at the University of California, Riverside, think they can help. They've developed a new way of looking at water-saving efforts across the enormous Colorado River Basin, and they're turning it into an interactive map and dashboard that everyone can use. A Colorado Sun analysis of election data indicates that school board candidates supported by the teachers' union won 72% of contests against candidates who had a more conservative platform. Education experts say it shows voters want school boards to turn their attention to the central issues in education, including student safety and student achievement. Voters rebuffed many candidates backed by conservative groups that have played into culture wars. But experts say to expect an ebb and flow of political infighting among school boards in the near future, driven by a spillover of frustration with national politics. Gunnison is believed to have the largest U.S. population of the indigenous Cora people, who over the decades have migrated to the area from the mountains of northwestern Mexico. The Cora have a cultural tendency to be shy and retiring, and have lived mainly in the shadows of Gunnison. Until now. Soon, the community will have its first Cora representative on the town council when Maricela Ballesteros is sworn in next month. In this week's Colorado Sunday feature, we explore how her win has landmark significance for a growing Western Slope University town. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now, a quick message from our team. I'm Laura Wynott, Director of Membership at the Colorado Sun. I came to work at The Sun because quality, trustworthy journalism is important. As a reader and listener, I find The Sun to be a breath of fresh air. The journalists tell Colorado stories that keep me informed, entertained, and engaged. If you also trust The Sun for your news, join me as a member at coloradosun.com join. 
Your support helps to bring you and other Coloradans the news you deserve. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you.